Hello, friends. We are interrupting Healing Hearts to remind you April is not just a month. It's a call to action. This month, we celebrate Volunteer Appreciation and Child Abuse Prevention Month, recognizing those who give their time and hearts to protect our most vulnerable. Every child deserves a life filled with love, safety, and normalcy. But sadly, not every child experiences this. That's where we, as a community, step in. Our amazing volunteers are the unsung heroes working tirelessly to advocate for children's well-being. They're the voices that speak up, the hands that reach out, and the hearts that care deeply. But the fight against child abuse needs much more than just appreciation. It needs action. This April, we invite you to participate in our efforts to protect children, provide them with the normalcy they deserve, and advocate for their rights. Visit www.speakupforkidspbc.org to find out what you can do to amplify the voices of our volunteer advocates. Remember to engage with us on social media. Participate and protect because every child deserves a champion and that champion could be you. Now back to Healing Hearts. Welcome to Healing Hearts, a podcast from Parents Speak Up for Kids. In keeping with the overall mission of 100% advocacy for the foster community, Healing Hearts covers topics of interest for foster children, foster parents, and those who advocate for both. We are today's hosts, Riley and Sophia. Today, we have the honor of speaking with Pam and Brian Heck. Welcome to Healing Hearts. I'm Sophia Schur, and this is Riley Heck. I'm so happy to be speaking with you guys today. Could you share with our audience your background and journey as a foster parent? We were uh, family home uh, parents for three years in Tallahassee. We had our own biological children. Riley was five and Kaysen was um, just turning one. And we had a home of six boys in Tallahassee for over three years. We were both working in fields where we were helping people. Brian was a teacher. I was in social work and we were wanted to be able to kind of combine our efforts and help um, together and work as a team. So that's kind of what brought us into it. Uh, we worked with a company, Boys Town. Uh, they're a national company and they've been around over a hundred years and they were started by uh, Father Flanagan and he, he wanted to help and train kids who needed assistance. And that's a little bit about kind of how we got into it. Would you mind taking us back to the first time that you had a foster child in your home? As new foster parents with biological children, what steps did you take prior to the child coming in to prepare both your biological children and potential foster children already in your home for a new foster child? Yeah, so that started off with a lot of boundaries, a lot of communication between Pam and I. Um, and then chatting with the kids and letting them know expectations. But we had to make sure that there was a safe place for our own kids, right? And that even though these are foster children, that they are also special to us as well. Um, so setting up those boundaries was really important for us. And communication was the biggest mm-hmm. key, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, Kaysen was really young. He was just barely walking just as a toddler, Riley was young, only in kindergarten with a bunch of teenage, older foster kids. So, you know, really just establishing what was okay and what was not okay. You know, we had we had 
a child who had been, you know, a number of our children had been um, victims of sexual abuse. And so we didn't want any boundary issues that could be a potential problem for for them as a stumbling block or for our own children. So um, we just set very clear boundaries and didn't let our kids kind of alone with our our youth and not in a bad way. Like I didn't say that. I hope that's not, doesn't sound horrible, but it was more just of a protection um, as we got to know our youth and they got to know us. Yeah. So you touched on boundaries and how important that was in making sure that everything in the household was standard to what you wanted the atmosphere to be like. So how would you describe the boundaries that you had set in place and what how that impacted the household in general? Well, I think it, it boils down to structure. So every every person loves structure, even though we hate it or not. Structure, you know, without structure, there's chaos. So it, it built a sense of stability within the kids. They knew what to expect and what not to expect. A lot of these kids that came to our home every day was something different. So we needed to, we knew we needed to create stability for them. So the boundaries was the stability that they, that they needed. And that could be even something as simple as like every day at the end, of, you come home from school, there's a snack ready. There's dinner at a certain time, oh. bedtime, homework. There was a schedule that was routine, not like a rigid schedule, but it was a routine. So it was helpful for them to know what to expect. There was time for outside time just to hang out, play basketball, do other things. But it wasn't just like everybody does whatever they want. It was sort of like, you know, we're a family and these are kind of the structure and the the expectations we had. And the boundaries really helped out with any of the chaos that may have happened. Right. So a lot of our kids come from traumatic homes. And so the the boundaries were there to kind of help them understand what to expect so that there's not going to be any chaos. That That's extremely helpful knowledge that can definitely be implemented. So just to add on one thing is like um, some of our kids had come from homes where they didn't have enough food or things. So we had, you know, these two brothers that would would hoard fruit in their room because they thought if, you know, when it's gone, there's not going to be any more. So they had to you know, it was a skill they had learned when they were in their homes that they had to make sure they had enough food. And so that was a boundary to to not necessarily say you can't have this in your room, but, you know, there's going to be food. Like, you're not going to go hungry in our home. And it was just one of those things that we, you know, th- those are examples of how those boundaries can help them feel stable, that we don't have to worry if there's going to be breakfast or there's going to be dinner tomorrow. Do you mind touching on... You know, something a little more personal. Did you ever have to deal with feelings of jealousy amongst your biological children? And if so, how did you handle that? I think our kids were, I mean, our kids were younger. Kaysen was not even, he was only one, so he couldn't really verbalize anything. But, but I think we spent time with right. our own biological kids. We made sure that we we made them uh, separate time aside for them. A uh, lot of Lots of priority knowing that, you know, even consistency, knowing that I was putting my daughter down to bed every single night. Um, that made, it's one small task, but she knew that she can count on that. Right. Um, and then I, there is, I think even as parents, you know, you know that obviously you love all these kids the same, but there's, you know, kids that you have raised since birth. Um, so there is a sense of like, we tried to really make sure that 
happened, whether it was the routine, but, you know, maybe Brian was out kind of helping with the kids, the boys, and I would do something with uh, Riley and Kaysen. Um, So I think as they got older, we, we stopped being foster parents because we knew it was getting to an age where we needed to really focus on our own kids um, and not um, have them have to kind of compete with the kids in foster care. Thank you so much. So I know, obviously, as your biological daughter, that, you know, I was a young age and there definitely was times when you can feel a sort of sense of jealousy. But just like you guys said, you were such amazing parents in the sense that you also made me feel loved at all times and let me know that, you know, you do care for these people and you have such a heart for these children and you really do love them. But you know, at the end of the day, I'm your biological kid and you do love me as well. And honestly, I think another thing is by you showing me that affection, it also showed me how you are able to love these other children and show really how you can implement that into their lives. So that's really amazing. And as Riley said, you know, she felt so loved and special. And I really want to go into that idea of how do you really make sure that not only your biological children, but the foster children feel equally valued and loved? And how, how is that cohesive in your house? I take this one. Um, one of the things that probably if you go into any of one of your houses, your parents have pictures up in your house of you and your family. And so that was a very important part to me is that um, you're a part of our family now. So your picture is up with everybody else here. So your pictures on the wall, we had family kind of pictures up. Um, family albums of different pictures. That was a really, it's a minor thing, but it's a huge thing because um, a lot of times when kids would come to care and you you girls probably know this, they, they come literally with a trash bag full of stuff. They have nothing really of their own belongings. Um, and so to be able to leave them with, you know, we knew that these kids, our boys were going to either go home to their parents, get adopted, or they were going to age out of foster care. Um, so we wanted to prepare them and give them a place where they could have good memories and um, good traditions. So that was one thing, ha- celebrating birthdays, holidays, developing some like family traditions or like, you know, kind of our own sort of like jokes and different things. Brian? I think spending individual time yeah. with them too, like being able to see them as individuals and, and as human beings and not just a foster child, Right. I think that when they get that label as foster child, that sticks with them for so long. And we chose not to see them as that. We chose them to see them as kids and people and human beings that just need to be loved. So whether it was going to their football game, their choir, their band, they're standing outside to get new Jordans all night when the Jordans dropped. So my husband did that for one of our boys. Um, We just did things that we would do with our kids. Send them off to college and help them places. Yeah. Yeah. Learn how to drive, get their license, all those things that are typical teenage things. Yeah. So you you mentioned all these different activities and even listening. I mean, it sounds quite overwhelming and like a lot to juggle. So do you have any advice or what kind of planning methods did you use to stay on top of everyone's schedules and make sure that everything felt like organized? (laughs) We had help. We had an assistant, um, Millie, who was a helper. And this was both of our full-time jobs, although my husband was in grad school full-time, which was a little crazy. That was one of the benefits of what we were doing, that this was our full-time 
responsibilities. Having, I use an Outlook calendar and I love Outlook and I, you know, use it often for appointments and different things. Um, so I'd have it digitally as well as like on our computer, but also with the schedule, with that being said, like, here's the schedule of the day. There's only so many things that we can get done in a day. Family meetings also. Yeah. That was, I was going to say that. About the week and stuff like that. So that would happen every day. We would have a family meeting because kind of what's going on. And sometimes we would have to decide as a family, like, okay, Sean has a football game and uh, somebody else, Logan has this and all these kids have to, okay, how are we going to split our time? And as a family, we would kind of come up with a solution of how we could support each other, even when we had like different things to be at. Yeah, that's, that's definitely great advice. And I think someone will definitely find that extremely helpful. So moving on, I kind of want to jump into, you know, becoming a team. So how did you introduce the kids to each other to really form a bond? And this is both, you know, biological and foster kids, or just, you know, foster to foster. How did you just make a team and introduce everyone? Yeah, I think we did it over food, right? We 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 just cooked, and then everyone just kind of cooked together, and you know, our assistant would cook, and everyone just tried to make things that they liked, and so we started there. Family meetings, we had family meetings every single night where everybody got a chance to talk about what's on their mind, what what were they concerned about, what, what was their worries, the highs, the lows, everything you think of. Dinner, family dinner, just family sitting down dinner, together. Family dinner, just chatting. Every single night we had family dinner. Yeah, and then and then just being able to, I, I don't know, I, I think our boys developed a culture and the culture just kind of spread to any boy that came into our home. Yeah. Even like doing activities, Brian got them involved with what? biking. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mountain biking. Um, and that's a, you know, that was a really great opportunity because you have to focus and you have to, it's not hard. It's not easy to mountain bike. You can get hurt, you can get injured. And so they all learned to kind of cheer each other on. You know, it was always exciting. Like one of our kids, he couldn't do it. He, he had, he was, you know, very overweight. He couldn't do the whole ride. He would do what he could, but then the whole guy, all the guys would like cheer him on when he could, he could, you know, complete the ride. Um, and so things like that, where everybody found each other's strengths, even doing chores together, which sounds really horrible, but um, taking pride in um, your home that you live in, because part of being in foster care is you don't feel like you have a place where you belong. So um, chores are not just like getting people to do work for you. It's also an opportunity to say, look, this is my home and I'm proud of it. And this is why I'm going to make sure it's clean. And it's, you know, they, they can take pride in it and having guests over too. So like, that they started to really take pride in their home. So I kind of want to, you know, take take a step back. So you mentioned something about an assistant, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess kind of for our viewers, is this accessible? Is an assistant accessible? And, you know, how did she help you? Because I knew her and I knew that she was a big help, but how did she really help you guys? So the program we're in is it's called a family teaching model and it's used and in different places across the country. Um, so we were the family teachers, meaning we were the, you know, the kind of the parents, the family parents, the house parents, as some people call it. Um, and Millie was our assistant. She would work 40 hours a week, whereas we were there all day, every day, 24 hours a day. She would work 40 hours a week. So she would come in days where maybe we had some time down. We would have like a few, you know, a, some short nights where we'd have a little bit of time down where she would just take care of the kids. 
Um, or if we were all, all of us working together, it would give us the opportunity where, you know, one person had to go to take a kid to the doctor. One person had to pick somebody up from football and we could kind of tag team together. So we, there was a few different ways where we worked together. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, you guys have really shared some amazing knowledge. And I just want to kick us off with this last question that we ask everyone who comes on. And that is, what is your advice for foster parents who are about to embark into this process? Communication and making sure that your relationship is stable between each other, between the husband and wife before they take on more than they can handle. Yeah. It's really, we've both had lots of jobs in our life, but this is probably one of the, not a job, but it was, it was definitely one of the most challenging things because your heart is in it. Like, it's not just like something where you leave at the end of the day, you're there 24 seven and you love your, those kids like your own. And sometimes, you know, they've, they've been through hurt, they've been through trauma and sometimes they say hurtful things and they do hurtful things. Um, and knowing to not take it personally, it's just, that's just part of the process. So, um, it is, it's, it's a really emotional and knowing like you have to take care of yourself too, for you to be able to give your whole heart and your lives to kids who are in care. You have to be able to, whatever it is, your spirituality, working out meditation, whatever it is, but making sure you're caring for yourself so you can like a, like a sponge, you can give it out to other people. You got to soak in before you can give it out. Thank you for tuning in today. New episodes of Healing Hearts premiere every two weeks. So follow us on Spotify and Apple Music. To submit a show idea, appear as a guest, apply to be an interchanging host, or for more information about Parents Speak Up For Kids, email parents at speakupforkidspbc.org. Until next time, remember that healing starts with the heart. You've been listening to Healing Hearts.